1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you recall, we really have only begun to set up Paul's teaching on the subject of spiritual gifts, and I'm sure some of you have been itching to get to some of the more meaty parts, uh, and I've probably been torturing you going slowly this way. Uh, but um, I think it's important that we do take our time on this subject because there is so much confusion and so much, much inter, uh, misunderstanding, and I would feel I would be doing you a disservice if we weren't to take a proper time going over this. Just as a, a brief, as a recap as, as I can get, really, if we wanted to boil down Paul's teaching in the first seven verses, because that's all we've covered so far, um, we could just boil it down to two main points. We could say that spiritual gifts are important. They're extremely important to the church. That's why Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, uh, brothers. He wanted to enlighten the ignorance of the Corinthians on that subject because they had clearly misunderstood it. And there were spiritual counterfeits that existed. They existed in the church at Corinth, and that's why Paul gave them the two tests that he did in verse 3. Uh, verse 3 said, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Two very important tests. What does a person believe about Jesus Christ? Jesus is the test. The second thing is, is really that there are a variety of spiritual gifts, really the second point that we came to, and that was in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there's a variety of, of gifts, and there's a variety of ministries that those gifts can be used in, and there's a variety of ways that those gifts can have an effect on uh, people. And when a church is functioning as it should, exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it profits everyone. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So how does it profit all? I want to take you back to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll just pop up the verse for you. We've looked at this verse, but I think it's a great place to launch today from as we look at specific spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4 verse 11 it says, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, Paul is listing offices here. I made that point uh, a while back. They're not gifts themselves, uh, but men who would hold these offices, then you would assume they would have the corresponding gift. If you have an office of teaching, then he should have the gift of teaching, or if he's an evangelist, he should have the gift of evangelism. Um, but what are those gifts for? That's what I want to look at here. He says they are for the equipping of the saints. And that's the first point. They are, the gifts equip Christians. In fact, that word equipping is kardotismas. And it is only used here in the New Testament. And it really means perfecting. That's the idea behind it. Being completely furnished. Meaning the use of gifts are a way of, are a part of, perfecting saints. We are being perfected, right? We call it sanctification. Your use of gifts is part of that. It's a part of that uh, perfecting aspect. And Paul says here that they are to equip you so that you can continue on that road of perfection. And it really is pre preparing you to fulfill the work of Christ. And really, that's the second point that he makes there, right? It's equipping you for the work of ministry, is what verse 11 said. So gifts not only equip Christians, but they can execute ministry. That's how you, you, you do it. That's the way the work of Christ is, is carried out. It's through the exercising of our, of our gifts. I want to take you back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, As each one has received a gift, 
minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We've looked at this verse before as well. It tells us simply that you have all received a gift and you are now a steward of that gift. You have been entrusted by the King of Kings with a gift. And he says, now use that gift, minister it to one another. That's a command of the Lord. It's a command to you and it's a command to me, which means this. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not something that you come and you sit and you watch and then you uh, leave and say that you uh, did church. Uh, Christianity is anything but that. You don't just come and let the professionals carry everything out, right, and, and, uh, and then kind of go your way. When I first got into ministry, one of the first books our pastor had us all read through because we had come on to staff, new young guys, he, it was a book called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. <laughs> That's the name of the book. So that we would understand as pastors that we're not professionals. We're just simply filling an office. There's no professionalism in the pulpit. We're just filling an office. The church is meant to be collectively, corporately using their gifts. We all do that. And when we do that, we get to experience real joy in serving, especially when we see the fruit of our labor. It's a blessing to, to see that. The third thing is that gifts edify the church, and that's what Paul said in the rest of that verse, right? For the edifying of the, the body of Christ. So when you use your gifts, the result is the maturing of the church. It's built up. We, we are strengthened. We're matured. Um, the lockdowns, let's just look back over the year, have made it very difficult for churches to be strengthened, to be matured. And hopefully you can connect this, the obvious reason why because we haven't been collectively around to minister our gifts to one another that strengthen the church, right? This makes sense. It's been very difficult. And I have to tell you, no one is strong enough. No one's wise enough. No one's gifted enough to just sort of, you know, stay isolated on their own and make it. We need one another. It's so difficult, isn't it? And so it's so great that things are lightening up and we, we can come to be together. But my point is, is, is here. Two things that Paul takes uh, to us from there is one, we're not to be parasites, right? We don't just come and sit here and, and give me, feed me, feed me, give me, and then I will go my way. You, you are here to, to give, not to, to, to just take, right? To give. But also to not be paralyzed, to not be frozen, right? We're, we're to be active. We're to be utilizing our gifts. And certainly I think one of the things that has paralyzed many has been the fear that's been perpetuated uh, this year. And a great verse that I thought was really encouraging I want to share with you today is 2 Timothy 1.6. Uh, it's 1.6 and 7. Paul used this to a young, timid pastor. Therefore, I remind you, Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He was a young, timid pastor. He was like, maybe people think I'm young. He's like, no, sometimes you're going to have that fear. Stir up the gift. Did you notice how gift is associated with fear? Fear can hold back your gifts. And sometimes you need to stir it up, right? And so we, as we launch into the discussion of, of specific spiritual gifts, I just wanted to lay down that important fundamental truth because it should be exciting. We're here. We, could get, we get to use our gifts. And some of you are going, great, what are the gifts? Well, we're going to start reading them today, okay? We're in chapter 12, and we are in verse 8. We're going to read 8 through 11 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, 
the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we come to you today just thankful and grateful that we could be here in this place, that we could worship you, Lord. And now we pray as we open up your word and we read these pages would come alive to us by your spirit, Lord. We need the spirit of truth to guide us into truth. And so we pray that your spirit would be here. And especially as we consider these very important, the very important subject of spiritual gifts. So Lord, guide us into truth today. Lord, help us to really be able to grasp these things, Lord, and apply them to our lives for your glory and for the edifying of the church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what we just read here is a list of some of the gifts. It's not an exhaustive list, and hopefully the point, uh, the reason for that is very clear. Paul's already said there are a variety of gifts. So he's simply launching out to give us a a smattering, a, 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 a sample, right? Here's, here's an illustration. There's just a variety of of gifts, but it's not an exhaustive list. And we know that because Paul in the rest of chapter 12 is going to give an illustration about the body of Christ. He's going to use the human body as an illustration. Guess what? He's only going to mention the ear and the hand and the eye and the you know, foot. Or He mentions four, right? He's not going to mention every part of the body. He doesn't try to get an exhaust. He's just trying to get the point across that, that we all need one another. We function as a unit. The same is true here. He's not trying to list every gift. He's trying to give us a variety. There's all kinds of gifts here. And the Corinthians in particular had, had made a huge, huge deal over one gift. Uh, and, and, and maybe some of, the, some of the other gifts, but Paul certainly deals with the one gift, the gift of tongues, quite a lot in this, in this section all the way through verse or chapter 14. So Paul's trying to show them that there are many gifts, right? There's not just one gift. I know you all laugh for this one, but there's a lot of gifts, and they are all needed. All of them are needed, every one of them, for the maturing of the, the church. It's very sad when uh, churches just have a few, a few of the gifts, right? And they don't have any of these other ones, and no one's using them. You can't mature. We need them all. We need them all to be used. And so as we launch into this study, this could be helpful for a couple things just to consider some things. Through, I think through, throughout church history, people have tried to catalog and uh, categorize uh, all of the spiritual gifts. Um, and here's the problem. There's so many different lists. There are all kinds of lists. There's one filled with the Spirit right there, right? <laughs> all kinds of gifts, right? I, I, I've read a list that has as, as few as nine spiritual gifts. I've also read a list that has as many as 22. I currently have a book I'm going through that says 19 uh, spiritual gifts, right? I mean, there's all kinds of lists, and it just depends on maybe how you're seeing things and where you're taking lists from uh, here. Here's where we, we find that there are three lists from three different verses, per, particularly. One of them I've already shown you is Ephesians 4, uh, 11, and, um, you know, Paul mentioned there apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, right? He's listing offices, but in those offices are the gifts that go with those offices. That's one of the lists, the other list is the one I just read, verses 8 through 10. It's a part of the list, but he picks it back up. Skip ahead to verse 28 in our passage today. There he begins again with more of the gifts. Verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church, and he starts with the, um, the offices again, uh, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all 
interpret. So there's another whole section of gifts, and we're going to get to those as well. And the third list I'm going to take today is in Romans chapter 12. It's a short left-hand turn. It's the book right before this. So just go back to Romans chapter 12, and beginning in verse 6, we find the third list. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. It says this, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So there's the third list. Now, as we look at these three lists, there's several things that, that I've just noticed that come to mind. Prophecy and teaching are the only two that end up on all three lists, the only ones. Uh, you see apostleship and helps and leadership on, the, on two lists, but for the most part, you've got some on one list and some on the other, and um, you know, 13 lists in one, 13 gifts in one list, and some have a lot, some have a little. And, in, and, and, and you add to that, there's some people who try to add gifts on top of these gifts, which isn't a terrible thing, but just give you some of them. Some add hospitality to the list. We looked at 1 Peter 4, uh, 10 just a moment ago. Uh, where he said, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. The verse right before that, verse 9, he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And then as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. He sort of uh, associates the gift of hospi uh, the hospitality with the gift in a way. Um, so people think, oh, Peter's thinking of a specific gift, and it's hospitality. Others say that that can just be lumped up un under a total category of helps. We're going to talk about that. Some look at celibacy as a gift because Paul mentioned the gift of singleness, right, back in 1 Corinthians 7. Some say martyrdom is a gift. You might be thinking, well, that's a gift you would only get to use once, right? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but they take it from 1 Corinthians 13, 3. Paul says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Uh, another suggestion is that there's a missionary gift, and maybe some think that should be lumped um, under the gift of uh, being apostleship. And so there's, there's all these different things. Here's my, can we come up with an exhaustive list? Or should we come up with an exhaustive list? What's, what's the point here? I found a great uh, quote from a well-known Bible teacher, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. And I, I found this helpful, and I'll read it to you. He says this, In the scriptures of the New Covenant, New Testament, we find different lists of the gifts bestowed upon his church by the risen and glorified Lord. It has often been pointed out that no two of these lists are exactly alike. There is deep suggestiveness and a great beauty in this fact, because we are all strangely prone to mechanism, and we're too fond of tabulating and stating systematically even the things of God. There would have been some sort of satisfaction in having an exhaustive list of gifts, Yet how sad it would have been, for inevitably, we should have spent much time in seeking to place each other by our gifts, or pitying such as seemed to possess none. The gifts were never tabulated exhaustively because they cannot be exhausted. I love that. If we just had made it all about the gifts, well, we might just have, okay, the front row, uh, prophets in the front row, right? <laughs> you helpers, way in the back. I mean, we, you know, we would do stupid things like that. You know what? One pastor illustrated it like this with the gifts that are listed 
we get the list. They're the primary colors on the palette of a painter, right? The primary colors, because when you take two colors, you can make another color, right? They're, they're blended together, uniquely, you know, put together for you as an individual. I don't think you just have one gift. I think you have a, a, a wonderful uh, spiritual gift that's given to you that's your unique kind of blend of things. It may, uh, you know, uh, major on one particular gift, but it sort of has these other ones kind of encompassed in there. And I really like that idea. I don't think we really do ourselves favors by taking those uh, find your gift surveys and, and all those things. I think it makes it too academic. Um, I think it really should be about submitting to the Spirit's leading in every area of your life, allowing Him to fill you and use you. And then you can just be part of what God wants to do and not be so concerned about it. I was, I was in ministry for several years before it dawned on me that I had any kind of gift at all. <laughs> I, was just, I was just serving because I liked doing it. So I think we need to just approach this um, from this perspective. I think, you know, re- regardless of how many gifts there, uh, there are, um, we're going to just go through the ones that Paul has mentioned here. We're obviously in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, and we're not going to seek to exhaust them. I think going through the primary colors is a good way to do it. Also, uh, Scripture does seem to classify them in a way, and I think that's helpful for just in terms of ordering them for study, like we're doing today. And it comes from 1 Peter 4.11. We just saw 1 Peter 4.9, 4.10, and now 4.11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Just look what Peter says here. It seems that he classifies the gifts into two groups. Do you see it? If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability of God. So you have the speaking gifts and the ministering gifts or serving gifts is one way you could say it. Now, all gifts serve in a sense, don't they? But I think using Peter's terminology, it helps us distinguish there are verbal gifts and nonverbal. Maybe it's a better way to say it, okay? So speaking gifts, anyone speaks, let him speak. If uh, serving gifts, if anyone ministers, which is uh, dokania, to serve, a deacon, right? Be a servant. Let him, let him minister with the ability which God supplies. Now, there are a few uh, gifts that we will get to, but not, not today and not next week. But there are a few gifts that will fall into a third category, um, and it's alluded to in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. We'll look at that later, but basically that verse says, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with, with perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And those are often called the sign gifts, and we will get to those later. But for the purpose of our study here, we're going to study these gifts as listed off by Paul, but we are going to look at the ones in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, which means something. We're going to be doing something a little bit different than you're accustomed to me doing. Usually, I'm just going to stick and go verse by verse right through here. We're going to sort of branch out into a theological study in the midst of our expositional study. Does that make sense? All right, we're going through this, but I'm also, I'm mindful that Paul only lists three of the five speaking gifts. And so some people might be going, wow, I really wish I knew what the other gifts were, right? Or two of the six serving gifts. I would really rather you go out knowing what all the gifts are that Paul mentions. Uh, So we will be going back and forth between 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. So if you want to put something in there to kind of help with the flipping back and forth, that's how we're going to approach this part of our study. Now, I think, again, to recap, the gifts are given here by Paul to display the variety, 
uh, you know, I just want us to understand the gifts themselves and how they function in the church, really going back to their importance. So important that we are using the gifts in the, in the church. So I will address it with the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. And today, we'll talk about the speaking gifts. Speaking gifts. And I'm going to start with, firstly, the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. And it's found in our passage, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Maybe you saw it there when we read through it. He says, to another, the working of miracles, and to another, uh, prophecy. There it was, right? Prophecy. It's also listed in Romans 12, 6, but we'll, we'll get to that one later. I'll show you how he says it there. But why, why am I starting here? Why, why did I pick out prophecy? Look at 14, 1, chapter 14, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Paul says something about it. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now remember, the Corinthians were seeking the spectacular gifts, right? The, the tongues and the ecstatic tongues and miracles and things. And he says, yeah, pursue love. I want you to desire gifts, but I want you, most of all, if you're going to desire a gift, desire prophecy, right? If you're, you're going to seek one, seek that. Why? What do you guys think of when you hear the word prophecy? What do you automatically think of? Predictions, right? You know, telling, foretelling the future. Uh, that's, I got to tell you, that's a modern uh, concept. Uh, that came about in the Middle Ages. A Greek, a Hebrew, would not have uh, launched there with that word prophecy. The word prophecy, prophetia, it comes from a very important base root word, prophemi, pro, forth, femi, to speak, which means the speaking forth, speaking forth the mind of God, the counsel of God. So it's not so much foretelling as it is forth-telling. You can say it that way. In fact, Paul gives us a very, very simple, straightforward definition of the word. So I don't even have to give you one on my own. In chapter 14, verse 3, look at that. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Notice that. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He didn't say he who prophesies makes uh, bold predictions about the future, right? He says, he speaks edification, exhortation, comfort. That's prophecy. It is a gift of speaking the word of God before men. That is the gift of prophecy. Speaking forth the word of God is proclaiming the word of God. In fact, proclaiming would be a better word, honestly, if we just used that. Now, this gift has always been around, always and still is. God has always had somebody around who would speak forth his word. And it would happen in a two, two ways, really. There were revelatory, right, predictive uh, uh, prophets, right, who would speak forth God's word. And there were prophets and people who would just would reiterate or restate what God had already revealed. And so we talk about revelation. You're talking about people speaking something that had never been spoken before, something never revealed before, that would be revelatory. Something that came right out of the mind of God and right into the mouth of the prophet and, and he spoke it. Right? That is revelatory. And you certainly can go to the Old Testament and you can see that. They begin by saying what? Thus says the Lord, right? They're saying, this is what the Lord told me to say. Other times you're reading the Old Testament, you find them just reiterating or restating something God had already revealed. They're proclaiming the revealed word of God. 
Now, I'm not going to go and give a whole bunch of examples in the Old Testament because we all know that. There's tons of examples. But I'm going to take you to 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21 because Peter talks about this. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, this verse is often uh, uh, used to, to illustrate for us how Scripture was written, right? It came about by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Men wrote it, men spoke it, but the Holy Spirit is ultimately the one that uh, penned it. You could say it that way. And that's what Peter's talking about, the writing of the entire Old Testament. He calls it prophecy. It never came by the will of man. It came by the Holy Spirit. You might be asking, well, what about the, the, the New Testament then? Well, we see in the New Testament, when you open the pages of the New Testament, you see both aspects there too, don't you? You see the revelatory uh, there, but you also see the reiteration of things that God had already revealed. But let me show you Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. I think this is really important to understand. It says this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, we go and we read that verse, we go, oh, that's right, it's prophecy, because Revelation is a book of prophecy. And we go, it's all about telling the future. And you, what you do in your mind is you, you start to implant in your mind that that's what prophecy is. It's only about telling the future. But that's not what verse 3 is talking about. Verse 3 is talking about all of the revealed word of God. How do I know that? Verse 19. Those of you who have done a Revelation class should already know this, because verse 19 gives you the outline for the book of Revelation. Right? If you want to know the order of Revelation and how and what it's talking about, the outline is in verse 19. Notice what he says. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And that's exactly what John does. He writes the things which he has seen. What has he seen? The risen, glorified Jesus Christ. That's chapter 1, where we just saw that verse. Then what does he write? The letter to the churches, the things which are current. Then what does he write? the things which will take place later, predictive, future. All three are there. So it's not just, Revelation is not just predictive, it also proclaims things that are current. Yet, what did verse 3 call it? Prophecy. All of it is prophecy, is my point here. And the heart of all prophecy is what? To proclaim God's word. And proclaiming God's word testifies to one person and one person only, ultimately, Jesus Christ. And that's what you see in Revelation 19.10. Here is an angel speaking to John because John almost worshipped him. He says, I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Do you see that? There it is. Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's the testimony of Jesus? The Bible. You see it? This is the spirit behind all prophecy to testify of Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's great, but there, go back to the revelatory prophecy we see in the New Testament. I mean, that is there. Yes, it, it was there. You go back to Acts 11, you meet this guy Agabus, right? He prophesies that there will be a famine in the land. And what do the Christians do? They take up a collection. They send relief to those that will be affected by the famine. You see him later in chapter 21. He prophesies that Paul will be persecuted when he returns to Jerusalem. And he's, he's correct on those prophecies. And even Paul himself writes to Timothy 
And he mentions the role that prophecy had in him being called into ministry. You see it in chapter 1, verse 18, and in 4.14. But I'll, I'll just show you 4.14 here in 1 Timothy. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, Timothy, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. You see, they were men that got together, and one of them uh, had a word from the Lord and said, Timothy, you're going to be an evangelist, and you're going to minister with Paul. And Paul says, Timothy, don't neglect that gift. Don't forget that that happened, right? That came to you by prophecy. Yeah, we see those things in the New Testament, but guess what? That's about all we see. Most of the New Testament prophets do not emphasize or even mention any kind of futuristic message. Most of them just are mentioned as people who ministered to the Lord. When you read Acts 13, you read about Antioch, there were certain uh, prophets and teachers, and then five men are listed, and Paul and Barnabas are two of them. And it simply just tells you they ministered to the Lord. And then Paul and Barnabas are chosen to go out and on the first missionary journey. That begins. You go to chapter 15 and you read about Judas and Silas. And it says they, they were prophets who exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. It doesn't talk about them giving any kind of futuristic messages. It just says, well, pretty much the same definition that Paul gave us, right? They strengthened the brethren. They exhorted them. We hear about Philip, the evangelist, that he had four daughters who were or who prophesied, but nothing about what that entailed. And then you come to this letter by Paul, and he, said, he gives us a very simple definition in verse 3 of what it is. It's speaking, edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Prophecy, then, is a speaking gift, and it's meant to edify, it's meant to exhort, it's meant to comfort, and I want to just let you see how Paul describes it in Romans 12, because I told you it's mentioned there as well. So go to Romans 12, verse 6, really, really quick. Because he, he says something else about it, and I think it's really important. Romans 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, I just listed that one, but just, just bear with me. Let, me. let me read on. Or ministry, he mentions the gift of ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, notice that prophecy is not listed with a bunch of other massive sign gifts, healings, miracles. It's not actually, there's none of them. None of them are those. He says it's teaching, it's exhortation, it's giving, it's mercy, it's all those things. I think that's interesting because I think the thrust of prophecy has a different thrust than most people put on it today, all right? It's not listed with all those sign uh, gifts. And notice what Paul says. He says that it should be in proportion to our faith. Proportion means measured out or the, the limited or apportioned amount of faith. And some think he's speaking about the amount of faith of the individual, right? Prophesy to the amount of faith that, that you have. But you need to look at the word faith. Now, I'm reading from the New King James, and it says, as I read, Prophesy in proportion to our faith. And that's misleading because the word our in the Greek is not there. That is inserted by those who interpret and translate the Bible. It is the definite article that is there. It should read, uh, let us prophesy in proportion to the faith. That's what's there in the original, the faith. And what is the faith? Scripture, right? That's the faith. You read the New Testament, and, and that's how it's used throughout the New Testament. 
The word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Obedient to what faith? Their faith? No, the faith, the truth, the gospel. That's Acts 6-7. Jude uses that same idea, telling us to contend earnestly for the faith. So if you're going to communicate words, he's saying, to edify and to exhort and to comfort people, to prophesy, right? It must be in right relationship to the faith, right relationship to the revealed truth of God. Turn back to 1 Corinthians real quickly. Go to chapter 14. I'll show you something else. In verse 37, Paul asks, uh, says something here about a prophet, kind of asks a question about it, but 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. What Paul's saying is, is if, if there's someone that thinks they're a prophet, then they've got to be judged by the commandments of the Lord. Everything Paul is writing is going to be a commandment of the Lord. That's what he's saying. Paul wrote the epistles, right? So that must be judged by the truth of the commandments of the Lord. And that's the bottom line. It has to be in line with the faith, with the truth, with the commandments of the Lord. It's a speaking gift, and it proclaims the already revealed word of truth. And you hear something that comes out that is against that, and they say, but I'm prophesying, I'm hearing a word of the Lord. You run away and you go the other way, because it is not. It must be in line with the faith. Does that make sense? It's a proclaiming gift. It, now, let me just add something here. Some people try to say it ceased because they're, they're looking ahead at, at 1 Corinthians 13, and they're looking at verse uh, there that talks about, some gifts ceasing, and we're going to get to that when we get there. Tongues is one of them mentioned there, but so is knowledge and so is prophecy, so that to get rid of tongues, they have to get rid of all three. They say, well, there's no prophecy. I think that's because they're just thinking of the predictive nature of prophecy. I don't think that's what Scripture, uh, clearly, by all I've shown you, it means something different. It's proclaiming the truth, right? Prophecy is doing what I'm doing right here. It's proclaiming the truth before men. That's prophecy, ultimately, and I think we've got to make sure we understand uh, that. That's the bottom line. Now, in terms of the revelatory aspect of that, it was revelatory at one time. We see it in the Old Testament, we see a bit in the New Testament. But I'm going to tell you that that aspect of prophecy has ceased. And here's the reason. Not because I just believe that, but because of Revelation 22:18 warns against it. Revelation 22:18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Remember that's all of scripture. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Meaning, there's no more revelation from God. God has not withheld something from you. You have all you need here in the revealed word of truth. You don't need someone else to come along and say, ah, oh, but he kept this one bit back from you. But guess what? He's given it to me, and I'm going to go share it with you. That will never happen, right? That is That revelatory aspect has ceased because the canon of Scripture has closed. Revelation warns against adding to revealed truth. But prophecy still exists and simply in terms of the proclaiming nature of the word of God. That's the point there. That's prophecy, okay? That's prophecy. So we took a long time on that one because that's where all the confusion lies on that one. But let's look at the next one. It comes in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit. Now, two are listed here, wisdom and knowledge, um, but they are two separate gifts. Paul separates them, and that is true. And I'm going to cover them in reverse order from how they're listed there, because I think they build on one another better. You start with knowledge, okay? 
So knowledge, we'll start there. And knowledge is the word gnosis. We, we know that word. It's a, a very broad term for knowledge. It's very hard to kind of pin down that, uh, that word from something more, something more specific and refined. It's a big, big word, gnosis. But uh, I think a way to like, uh, I think define it here. I've read this one definition. I think this is helpful. To observe biblical facts and make conclusions. All right? That's a very, very simple, I think it goes deeper than that, but ultimately it's the ability to understand the deep truths of the Bible. What I mean is this. These are the, these are the theologians. These are the guys, the, the researchers and the historians, the ones who dig deep, right? And many times they're highly trained and in languages, right? They can go and they can study these languages and they have a mind for that and they can um, learn archaeology and learn all those uh, things. Or they may not have any formal training at all, but they just have a, a natural ability to, to, to dig into God's word in a way that is so profound and pull out these amazing spiritual truths. And with no formal training, they write books about things like this. And you just go, wow, what kind of knowledge this person has. Let me give you an example. They write books like this. <laughs> all right, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. All right, When you begin in ministry, this is what you start with, 1,200-page book. And they go, good luck. Um, but it's just, this is the kind of a mind of a guy who has knowledge, the gift of knowledge. Because he's able to go into God's word and pull out a systematic understanding like of different areas, like who is God? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the church, right? And, and, and it's full. And he just did, I, would, I would never be able to do that. Uh, there, there's an aspect or a blend of a bit of knowledge that should be with a pastor. I don't think I have that much of it. Um, that's a person that does this kind of thing, okay? Uh, that's, that's the gift of, of knowledge. Um, and, they, and I think a, a great definition is in chapter 13, verse 2. You want to look at it. Chapter 13, verse uh, 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, there's a prophecy mentioned again, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Okay, kind of lumps there the understanding of mysteries and knowledge together, right? It's the guy that understands all the mysteries of of, of scripture. These are the scholars, the writers, the professors. But here, here's the thing. You can have all that kind of knowledge, but lack the wisdom, right? You, you can just have all these facts and things and be able to go in there and pull out all these verses and be a walking, talking Bible, but you could sort of lack the, the wisdom. And I, I think that leads into the next gift. Wisdom was listed there. That's the third gift. Um, and, and I think it has more to do with the application aspect of that. Wisdom, by the way, the word is Sophia. Sophia, in the room? Did you know that your name means wisdom, girl? Yeah, use that with your mom and dad now. <laughs> You're welcome. Sophia, right? It's not, it's, listen, it, this, this wisdom is a broad term as well. It's used over 50 times in the New Testament. So to kind of pin it down is difficult. It does refer to the attribute of God. God is wise. He's full of wisdom. It does refer to the person of Jesus Christ because he is called the wisdom of God, um, an intellectual ability. It's also used in the negative aspect in terms of the proud human wisdom that, that opposes God. But I think the most prominent use of Sophia is seen as spiritual understanding of God's will. It is the ability to understand God's will, but then apply it, right? You, 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 you dig in, but you also take, you take those things and you apply it. I think the basic difference between this and knowledge is that it, it focuses on the application of that knowledge. Um, these are the expositors. Uh, they, they need that to draw out the insights and truths from Scripture to be able to 
you know, show it to, uh, to others. Um, I, I think I would have more of that than knowledge, okay? I would never be able to dig in and, and write my own systematic theology. But to be able to read commentaries and other biblical scholars and assimilate the information and, and synthesize it into one coherent uh, whole, uh, that, that takes that gifting, I think. And pastors have to have that, and counselors have to have that. Counselors certainly have to have that to apply wisdom to the problems of people's lives, that they bring that to them, right? They've got to have those things. All the different situations that they're dealing with, to apply properly uh, God's word to people, to, to effectively lead them. That's so important. But listen, this can be anyone in the church as well. Anyone in the church who has a good understanding of, of, of Scripture, good understanding of God's Word, shows the ability to apply it properly um, in the right situation, you have that gift. It's wisdom. You know what? Jesus promised this gift in a time of need. In Luke 21, 15 is when he's talking about the future when the disciples will be dragged before the magistrates, right? And they'll be, they'll be uh, questioned and whatnot. He says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. It's that kind of wisdom. It's a gift to be able to just pull out the truths and apply them. You know, James, the book of James, says a lot about wisdom. In James 3.13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Right? By his good conduct. Where there's the living aspect, there's the applying aspect of it, right? It's one thing to have the knowledge and understand all the truths, but if you can't apply it to even to your own life, ah, what good is the knowledge, right? I guess it's good for people who buy books like that. But that's it, right? So you have three speaking gifts here right at the beginning. You have prophecy and you have the wisdom and knowledge all kind of come together. And all those things should be active in uh, the church. Uh, the church I came from, uh, there was a guy in the church. We all knew he had the gift of knowledge. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't on staff, never was on staff, right? But the man was a walking, talking Bible. Like he knew. And so when I began to just start to preach and teach, I went to him. I said, would you train me, Master Yoda? I mean, he was like that to me. Like he was, and he kind of talked like that. He was like, oh, train me. Yeah, so I, and he was just like so good. Um, he, he, just, he just was able to pull these things out that I would just never, never see, you know? Amazing, amazing. But the gift of teaching, he, like I said, we, we said, oh, you know, he's, such, he's got so much knowledge. Let's put him up front. Yeah, that didn't go so well. You know why? He didn't have the gift of teaching. And that's our next gift, the gift of teaching. Teaching, Romans 12, 7. That's where that one's found. It's not in our 1 Corinthians passage. It's Romans 12. You've got to jump back there real quick. And uh, there he just says, to he who teaches in teaching. So teaches and teaching and teacher are all used. Didasko, didaskali, uh, didaktikos, all those words are all used there. It just means to teach. And to teach is to pass on truth to somebody else. In fact, I probably should have said that he wasn't a proclaimer, a prophesier, because we tried to have him do that, you know, teach out in front of people. And that certainly wasn't uh, it. But I think the teaching aspect here is different than prophecy. Um, both are extremely important. I told you teaching and prophecy end up at these top lists here. But to prophesy is to proclaim the truth to an audience like this. But, but teaching is just simply passing on truth to another. And I think this was uh, incredibly, uh, an incredible relief to our trustees because uh, I meet with them and we're going through a book on biblical eldership right now, actually. And we talked about the 1 Timothy 3 qualification 
that a leader in the church should be able to teach. And I think some of them thought, I could never get up there and do what you do. And I was like, that's not teaching. That's proclaiming. But can you pass on truth to another? Do you know enough of God's word that you can just sit one-on-one and say, oh, let me take you to scripture, let me guide you? Then you're a teacher. You have the gift of teaching. And that's all that scripture calls for leaders to be able to have. They may not be evangelists, preachers, proclaimers. They, they, might, they have to have the gift of teaching because they have to have a handle on God's word and truth and be able to pass that on to another. They're the people that disciple other people, right? You, it's a systematic, I'm going to take you through these things. That's a teacher. I'm going to guide you through these early steps of, of, of you know, your, new, your new life you know, as, a, as a Christian. That's a teacher. Do you have the ability to pass on God's truth to another? You know enough of it to just share it with someone else? You probably have the gift of teaching. I think those who um, exercise that um, probably do it and don't know it. Think about that. Teachers should have lots of teachers in the church. One last speaking gift, because I know we're going late here, and it's the gift of exhortation. It's also in Romans 12, Romans 12, verse 8. Exhortation. To he who exhorts in exhortation. The word exhorts is parakaleo. Parakaleo, and it means to comfort or help or advise or strengthen. I love this one. Um, it's a similar word, parakaleo, to parakaletas. That's the word that's used in, in John chapter 14, verse 16, about the Holy Spirit. It's called the comforter, right? The helper. I love this. This is a great thing. Okay, the word literally means one who comes alongside to help. That's one who exhorts. If you have the gift of exhortation, you are kind of functioning like the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Holy Spirit indwells us to assist us, to empower us, but there are believers in the church that do the same thing, that they come right alongside of us, and they encourage us, and they strengthen us. This definition I found, the gift of exhortation involves the supernatural ability to come alongside to help, to strengthen the weak, reassure the wavering, buttress the buffeted, steady the faltering, console the troubled, and encourage the halting. It has a strengthening ability. And Peter had that gift as well because Jesus prayed that he would. Remember, remember Peter was pretty down and out because he had, well, he had uh, betrayed his Lord, right? He had not, you know, denied him. And uh, he didn't feel good about it, right? He was, he was downcast. And Jesus sort of had to reinstate him and encourage him. In Luke 22, 32, he told them that he prayed for, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And remember, he does return to Jesus and Jesus encouraged him. And gosh, Peter becomes the great strengthener. It's the gift of strengthening. Those kids, you kids like the superpowers that have the super strength, be an exhorter, exhortation, the strong. Hebrews 10, 25 uses this word. And it's so important we'll kind of wrap up with this. We're told this, to not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. There's the word. Exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. One of the greatest needs the church has for assembling and coming together is because we need strengthening. We need encouraging And why? Because the day is approaching. And so when we come together, you should leave pretty encouraged because in this room, I know that there are exhorters. I've been exhorted. I've been encouraged by people in this room. I know they have the gift. And you will be exhorted, encouraged by them too. 
Do you see how it works? Do you see why it's so important? The speaking gifts, the people that speak into your lives, whether it's people up front or people who are just silently sitting by your side saying, let me help you with this. Let me walk by you. Or people who are discipling others and saying, oh, I'll teach you that. Oh, I've done that book. I can, I can, I can do that. That's gifts of the Holy Spirit. You've got to know this. That's supernatural. You weren't born with that. The new birth brought that. Amen? You have that through the Holy Spirit. And we are strengthened and encouraged as a church when our church comes together and we use it. Luther said that teaching is directed to the ignorant, right? You're teaching someone who doesn't know things. Well, let me teach you that. But exhortation is to those who know better, right? People who should know, but, but sometimes exhorting means like, come on now, you know better than this. Let's go. Let's, let's move. Let's do it, right? Stir up, that, stir up that gift, right? Let's go. That's okay too because they love you and they're using their gift to encourage you and strengthen you. So those are the five speaking gifts as listed by Paul. And next week, we'll launch into the serving gifts. We should be able to get through them all. I think this is such an important study that uh, if anyone's missed it, uh, by the way, or you know you're going to miss next week. I just want to remind you that not only can you go on Facebook and watch these recordings, um, you can also go to our website, and just the sermon is put on there. So you don't have the whole service, the worship and the prayer, you just have the sermon, and it's available on a podcast. So if that's useful to you, you know, download that, use that. I don't want you to church, I don't want anybody to miss out and to kind of be unaware of what the gifts are, because we all need to be using them for the edifying the body of Christ. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you for the truth of of Scripture. And Lord, we thank you for gifts. It's incredible, but Lord, not not only do you save us and make us new creatures with new uh, hearts of of flesh that were once stone, but Lord, you give us gifts, abilities that are supernatural. The world is obsessed with superheroes, and yet here we are, we have the church (laughs) full of superheroes with supernatural abilities to, to help and encourage and strengthen and edify the body of Christ. And Lord, I just pray that we would, would take this more seriously at how important it is that we are together to use our gifts for one another, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us so much that you would die for us, that you would bring us together into this body, call us your family, call us your children, Lord, and, and bestow upon us these amazing gifts. You truly are Uh, the Father of the heavenly lights who gives good gifts to his children. Thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.